Welcome to episode 70 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me tonight are Ian Sharpley. Hello. And Matt Cassell. Hello. We, it is August 25th, a warm Monday night, and following up last episode that was top two in bottom one Marvel movies, tonight we're doing DC movies, and what I learned today is that there's a much shallower pool of movies to choose from. But before we get into that, housekeeping with Ian Sharpley. Shallower pool. It's still summertime. You can go in a shallow pool or deep dip your, pool. Dip your piggies in. The thing you got to watch for, though, in the shallow pool is, are you really dipping your piggies into pool water or pee? It's always pee water. It really All is. It. Now, is it true that the chlorine just kills the pee-pee real quick and it's not a big deal? Or are you, like, really, like... Accidentally drinking piss. You're purposely drinking piss. No, you know when you go swimming and you come up and you spit a little water out of your face. You know, like out of your face. Well, where else are you gonna spit it out of? It just sounded weird. Out of your mouth. Out of your mouth. Yes. Sorry. But like, is that is that urine still, or is it is it? I've accepted that it's urine because so many people celebrate peeing in the pool as they stand. Right next to me, and I can feel them peeing on me. Who does this, and why are you in that pool? Because it's nice. It's pool time. It's that's pee time. Pee time, pool time, fun time. In any language, doesn't matter. My immune system can take a bullet. Can take a little pee. It can take a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. The kid doesn't get sick. Have you ever been shot? No, I'm working on it. Okay. Ian, do you have housekeeping? And while you're in pee time, while somebody's pissing on your leg in their pool, you take out your waterproof phone. Like It's not an iPhone. It's got to be Samsung Galaxy. You go to McSauce.com to check out the reviews, the strips, the podcast. You go to Facebook. Leave us a comment. Tell us about the pool that you're in. See how but I did that? Like yuck, that. yuck. Leave us a review on the iTunes. Um, I don't think that we've received a review in quite a while, so I'm looking at some of you fans out there. I know you listen every week. Give us a review. Help the podcast out. You can also go to Podomatic. You can stream it or download from Podomatic. Stitcher Radio is also a place you can find it. Um, soon, as soon as I get my shit together, we'll move over to Libsyn and be a nice, big, official podcast. Like, all your favorite stuff. Rogan, Marin, all that stuff. We'll be just like them. But better. Yeah, but much better. Coming up, uh, it's the end of August, coming in September, towards the end of the month, about a month from now. September 26th through the 28th. Monroeville Convention Center. We will be appearing at the Pittsburgh Comic Con. You can meet us, greet us, talk to us. Table S009 in the big room. Not over in Artist Alley this year. In the big room with the bigger tables. So that's where you can find us. Come over, say hi. Take a button. Free buttons. Free buttons in comedy... You can come and uh, hang out. The Comic-Con, if you've never been to one, don't be afraid. There's a lot of stuff there. 
for non-comic book fans, if you like movies or pop culture, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be something there for you. You like Game of Thrones, you like Dexter, you like Breaking Bad or Doctor Who, Comic-Con's going to have your fix. So, so I think Doctor Who would be what turns people off. Well, you never know. There are a lot of Doctor Who fans out there. They might be interested. But are Doctor Who fans in the normal rank and file of you know the general person that would just come to Comic-Con? Maybe not. Maybe not. Correct. Well, if you like any of those other pop culture items and you want to check out something that, that would be fun, a little, little nice time, I think it's $20 for a one-day pass, stop by the Monroeville Convention Center for this year's Pittsburgh Comic Con. And while you're there, stop by and see us. Right, Matt? We're hard to miss. Impossible. Three best looking dudes at Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Damn straight, son. That's if Dom is amongst the three of us, and then there's then there's me. <laughs> so last week, uh, with our good buddy Wayne, we talked about our favorite, our top two Marvel movies, and our least favorite Marvel movie. Only fitting this week that we. Flip the coin and do DC. I thought it was going to be image movies. Mm. Which is even an even shallower pool. Are there any? Is it a pool of one? Spawn? Oh, Spawn, yeah. Right? So Spawn is simultaneously our first, second, and least favorite. Was Bulletproof Monk an image property? I, I don't know. I would ask the image expert in the room. Matt, was Bulletproof Monk... Image product. It may have been, but at the same time, Paul, it might not have been. Do you think that we're ever going to get any any more comic movies coming from different places other than DC and and Marvel? I know recently we got Sin City, Dark Horse, and that didn't shitty. And that didn't do all that well. Six point three million over. Oh, the weekend? Does that surprise any? That surprises me. Six point three. That's really low. Is really low. It came That's in shockingly in, low. It came in in eighth place. As someone who has no desire to be involved in anything regarding Sin City, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Well, you can take yourself out of actually liking the product. I mean, I'm not surprised when Harry Potter does well, but I can't see any appeal to those movies. Well, but I can take myself out and see why people like. Them. Yeah, like I, you know, I, I get why the first Sin City did well, but like with this one, I think it's almost too late. It's nine years later. Like, why the fuck did they wait so long? And and I had a different opinion on that. I thought it was just in time. People might be interested in something that looked like that again. You don't see. A lot of movies like that, but I guess I was totally wrong. There's been enough, I think, to kind of uh, satisfy that that craving, if you will. Uh, you had 300, the sequel. I forget what it was called, Rise of the Empire. Rise of the Empire. Empire. Um, I, did, I did go see that. Uh, it was not very good. It was pretty fucking bad. And it did really well. And it like really surprised me. So I thought, well, if that did well, I would certainly think that Sin City Two will do well. And holy crap, I couldn't six point three or whatever. That's fucking that's shocking. unheard of for a, a movie. I mean, even like the the most independent, limited release 
movies make more than that. Well, I don't think it got any promotional push. That's I what, feel like over the last couple months, I haven't seen anything. It was really sensitive. I thought, and maybe it's the television stations that I'm watching, I thought it got a pretty big push. No, I don't a lot ex- of commercials. I don't expect it to get the push of Amazing Spider-Man, which soured a lot of the audience on seeing that movie, I think, because we were just hammered over the head with Amazing Spider-Man 2 bullshit earlier in the year. But I feel like Sin City was way on the other end. Like, every so often I'd see a commercial, but the only time I really saw anything for it is when I was on Newsarama or Comic Book Resources, and they were, oh, new Sin City trailer's out, oh, new TV spot's out. And I don't know if there was any way to tie it into, you know, Amazing Spider-Man. You can have a FedEx commercial, or you can have it at Subway restaurants, or whatever the heck they did to tie it all together. Sin City's a pretty narrow kind of deal. You can't really tie it into mainstream Yeah, certainly promotion. it's going to have a smaller audience, but at the same time, like, I just keep coming back, 6.3 it's, million. And it's crazy. Uh, you know, that's what I would say. If you told me Godzilla made six point three, I'd be like, "Yeah, it did." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's Godzilla money you right there. Uh-huh. But like, if you told me that Sin City made twenty five million, I'd be like, "No, it didn't. It did better than that." Like, I would never have. Be- I mean, this is just unbelievable. I thought it would win the box office. It's up against nothing, or at least come really close. I think that the Expendables is out there. Turtles, which was pretty is much Expendables out. I think so. I oh. thought it came out before, or maybe. Yeah, I, I think I, you might I, be right. I, I thought it came out before. What did finish number one? Guardians. Guardians. After three weeks, it comes back to number one because it went Guardians. God damn, Amazing Spider-Man two. What's wrong with you? No, right. Guardians was number one, then Turtles came out the following week and, and was number one for two weeks in a row, and then Guardians took it back this past week. It's so it, great it, didn't have, it didn't have anything that really was all that strong to compete with it. You would think, I think Sin City would have pulled in 34 easy. Yep. But... Matt, to answer your question from earlier, uh, Bulletproof Monk was an Image Comics property. Okay. Uh, also from Image Comics, The Crow. That's not true. No? No. I mean, it, it was published by Image at one point. Well, then. If you recall when Marvel was doing the covers, but the actual films were, had never had anything to do with the Image publications. Those storylines are completely separate. Well, is that how... Um, like, would you count the Avengers as being totally separate because that doesn't have anything to do with a Marvel comic book? No, because it's not like... The Avengers doesn't have anything to do with the Marvel comic book? I said in two different lists on the internet that say The Crow is an image property turned into a movie. Matt disputes that because it wasn't taken from a story in the books. It's not just that. I don't think that's where you're going. It's, It's not just that. It also is that... Originally, when the crow was created, it I forget, who was Caliber Press is who was that the original publisher? That's that's who they had to pull. It, it, whoever the original from. publisher was, it was not Image Comics, and it only belonged to Image for a very short while. So I don't really look at them as like as the crow being an Image property. Yeah, I mean, it looks like. It bounced around a whole lot. 
I mean, even even the the TV but show Press is the one that in the uh, mid '90s that had the rights to the Crow. Right. So I'm going to say that that's who. Yeah, especially for when it came out. For. Although there have been several Crow movies since. I think we're going with the original one. But even still, like the I don't look at Powers as an image property, even though there's going to be a Powers TV show, and it started as an image comic, and it it went for. You know, well, where's dozens of powers now? I think it's it's technically Marvel publishes it, but it's the imprint is Icon Comics. That is a Marvel imprint, correct? That's right. So Icon Comics puts out powers, but Image probably put out dozens and dozens of powers comics in, originally. So, but still, I don't look at that as an Image book. I don't look at it as an Image property. Well, uh, what about one? Wanted was an image property. Yeah, Witchblade. Was Witchblade a movie? Witchblade was a TV show, okay. but I mean... There was also a... Well, there was a TV movie, I guess. But there are few and far between properties that we can point to that aren't so from the much, big two. Pretty much are image movies or Spawn and Wanted. Yeah. And Bulletproof Mode. And Bulletproof Mode. Do we think that we're ever going to get any kind of other... Image movies. Yeah, I think that Invincible has a pretty good shot of happening, given the success of The Walking Dead and superhero movies in general. I think if if they market it smartly and, and really ride the coattails of The Walking Dead as the you know the original creator of that, but this is how he does superheroes. I think that, that you could get people kind of interested and. In, Talking about it, although I think it's more likely you'll see that as a TV series before a feature film. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see Savage Dragon as a as a film. I feel like that ship has sailed. Yeah, I agree. Um, there was a time when the Hellboy movies were kind of prominent. I thought, well, if they're doing Hellboy, and Hellboy crossed over with Savage Dragon. It's kind of like... Same world, this is kind of like what you might get with a Savage Dragon feature film. Maybe. But, no. I don't think... I think it's too late. It would... It would. It's too late like Sin City, A Dame to Kill For was too late. So Savage Dragon would make $6.3 million its opening weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, really shocking. Again, <clears throat> not to beat a dead horse, but, man, I can't believe that Sin City did so poorly. Now... I thought that Frank Miller's directorial debut, which was The Spirit, was going to be his final directorial project, because I didn't see The Spirit. I did see the trailer, which was maybe the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, there was so much stupid stupid Frank Miller-esque dialogue throughout, like, it's a it's a good day to be... It's not a good day to be a bag... Or wait, is that actually from the crow? What did he say? Oh, no, I'm going to kill you all kinds of dead. Yeah, that's bad. That's so Frank Miller, it's ridiculous. And I think the part that really offended me was that the spirit isn't a Frank Miller product. So if you've ever read any spirit stuff, so it's crime noir, but it's not Frank Miller. Whereas that all that stuff fits into Sin City, right. that's fine. Those are those characters and how they talk. 
not the spirit. And it felt like shoehorned in there. When Frank Miller writes a character that isn't his, it, you're just reading Frank Miller. There are writers that you can just identify who's writing it just based on the way the characters are. Like Brian Bendis' current Guardians of the Galaxy. Like Brian Michael Bendis, like Mark Millar, like Frank Miller. They're, they're kind of all similar in that sense. I mean, they all obviously have their own unique styles, but you could kind of, like, honestly, I believe if you hand me a comic and didn't tell me who wrote it, and it was one of those three guys, I'd be able to tell you who it was. I don't think there's any, I would have any problem doing that. I don't think any of us would. That'd be an interesting thing to do, hand somebody, like, the script. Be like, can you tell me who wrote the script? Which is why I've enjoyed Pete Tamazzi's writing on Greenland or and now Batman and Robin, because he writes the characters. Like, there's no disputing that it's Batman every time out. There's no outside influence informing that character. It's always Batman. It's always Lex Luthor. It's always Alfred. So, it almost feels like it could be a completely different writer writing Green Lantern versus Batman and Robin. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah. Yeah, because the characters are different. He lets the characters almost tell right. the story. That's cool. That's and I don't think that it's, you know, we always slam Bendis for doing this. I don't think that it's necessarily always a bad thing. Um, you can have your voice shine through. And whenever it's an appropriate situation, like with Ultimate Spider-Man, it was a perfect tone. Bendis fit right in with that. It was a great, it was a great way for him to present that character. And I didn't think it was as over-the-top as maybe... Um, I think the all-new X-Men kind of suffers from that a little bit. Paul mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy is a little bit like that, where it, every character feels like it's Bendis. But I think the, the biggest defender ever for, for this has to be Frank Miller's all-star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. Yeah. That I mean, series was, was completely miswritten. Vicki Vale even felt like Frank Miller's voice. <laughs> In... Just, I mean, the most famous line in the entire series is... I'm the goddamn Batman. I'm the goddamn Batman. And everybody just completely... Like, everybody started hating Batman after that. Now, did anybody... I know that after about five issues, I started loving that book. Because it was so totally insane. It was weird, and and it was was entertaining because you didn't really know what you were going to get out of it. And you had gorgeous gorgeous Jim Lee artwork. But... It's like, well, it's like after Transformers 3 when Michael Bay and I made amends and I was like, he's clearly purposely shitting, purposefully shitting on fans. Now I'm in. Yeah, I thought there were a lot of really fun moments. Sure, it was totally crazy. What? Especially, I think it was the last one where Batman has Green Lantern tied up in this completely yellow room as he interrogates him and drinks lemonade and I thought it was just so silly and funny yeah, and, and so, crazy. Yeah, it, it, it was so insane. It was, yeah, it was insane entertainment. Now, uh, somebody was telling me, one of you guys, that you saw an interview or something recently with Frank Miller and he was kind of complaining about the way Christopher Nolan has handled the the goddamn Batman in the goddamn Dark Knight movies? He, I read an interview with him, and 
he said that he doesn't watch any any Batman movies. Walked out of every Batman movie. He's never seen any of them because he knows those characters, and that's not how they're supposed to be. Kind of harkening back to what you guys were just saying about how it's Frank Miller as Batman. He mentioned that he feels that Chris Nolan ha- thinks he has more of a right to the title The Dark Knight than than he does, and he was like, he's a little, he's about 20 years too late for that. It, it was, it just came off as dicky and arrogant. You know, it's funny, because he's gonna say that he is really the voice of Bat, he knows the character so well, but, does that apply to the spirit as well? Because it feels like he kind of clusterfucked that movie. Well, it does Granted, I didn't see it, just saw the trailers, but I It was bad, I can speak for it. It It doesn't apply to Batman, either, because Frank Miller came out with Year One, critical acclaim across the board. Did you ever read Year One? Yeah, Year One's okay. Dark Knight Returns, which I don't like, but critical and fan acclaim across the board. So at that point, you're like, this is the Batman guy. But then he follows, you know, then he does Dark Knight Returns 2... Granted, awful. twenty years, twenty years later. later. But yeah, but then he, he does All Star Batman and Robin, also bad. Not only did his did his writing uh, prowess kind of suffer in those twenty years, but his art has turned into just scribbles and, and just complete uh, l- lack of structure to his characters and just any kind of sense of detail. It's so bad. And I generally don't like Frank Miller books, art or story. So I went into reading that first Sin City trade paperback with, you know, I went in negative immediately. But I was like, holy shit, this art this art's pretty slick, the way he's handling all the blacks and whites. Like, this is, this is pretty good. Yeah, but you were looking at Frank Miller artwork from right, 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. And I you know, yeah, he can lay some claim to the, the name the Dark Knight her the Dark Knight Returns cuz that's his shit. I mean, he that's his biggest achievement in his life. But at the same time, it's like, well, this is the way I like my Batman. And it's like if I get up in Chris Nolan's face and I'm like, well, Christian Bale doesn't sound like Kevin Conroy. You're an asshole. It's not my Batman. It's not Frank Miller's Batman. But so he Maybe you should step off for nuts. Yeah. You know, here's the thing, though. Frank Miller, has he ever even done a quality, contemporary version of Batman? I don't think so. I mean, I think he's always worked either in the origin stage or in the distant future that he completely constructed himself. He never had to deal with Gotham City, right. as we all know. Right. And when he tried to, which was... All-Star Batman and Neither Robin that is like sort of like an origin yeah. kind of like you know the, the beginning of Robin yeah, that wasn't contemporary that was All-Star those were all taken out of continuity right because like in the it was regular, supposed to be like this is this is just a, almost like an Elseworld yeah kind of thing exactly like, yeah. because in that regular in the regular continuity at that time the Green Lanterns didn't have any problem with the color yellow you know Tim Drake was still Robin at that point. But, you know, Frank Miller took it back to Dick Grayson, so he's never done anything current. Right. He really has. And, you know, the the year one stuff, I would argue it's a James Gordon story before it's a Batman story. I could see that. I mean, there's there's way more character drama for Jim Gordon than there is Bruce Wayne in that story. Yeah, yeah. 
Which is fine, but I mean, that's just what it is. Um, and I would also say this. As dumb as All-Star Batman is, I think that series might be Jim Lee's best artwork that he's ever done. And that's the real crime in them not finishing that up, is that Jim Lee was really cranking out some really great stuff. That was coming out like once a year toward the end. It was like an event. Would you say there are three more issues and you have to wait three more years for that? Would you would you rather just give it up now and say, I don't want to see how you end this? No. I, you know what I would do, for real? I would just wait for those three issues to finally come out, and I would buy it as one collection, just to have it almost just for the pictures alone, and the page where he says on the goddamn Batman. Like, his Joker was kind of cool. He had that, like, cool dragon tattoo on his back. His entire body was white. Um... Is that not how you regularly picture the Joker? Having a full white body? Yeah. No, I guess I do, but you never see him shirtless, you know? Like, Jim Lee drew him shirtless, and then he he gave him that kind of tattoo on his back that you wouldn't expect, but it was kind of there, and it was different. It was just different. It was kind of cool to see a lot of that stuff in a... His Wonder... The Wonder Woman portrayal in that was just straight man-hating bitch... Almost the way that you think that somebody that was that grew up with not in the world of men would act. Yeah. So, I mean, it was insane. I can't defend it as a good comic book, but it was entertaining. I'll go back and read that shit. Yep. So. And, and I know that I've brought it up before on the podcast, but I will say that one of my absolute favorite little Frank Miller sequences was in the Spawn Batman crossover at the very end. When Batman says to Spawn, or no, when Spawn says to Batman, let's just bury the hatchet, and Batman turns around and whips a batarang right in between Spawn's eyes and says, bury this, and, and the batarang's like implanted in his face. Love it. Frank Miller's such a badass. Love it. He also wrote RoboCop 2, coincidentally. Have you seen RoboCop 2? Uh, yeah, a long time ago. Like, the main villain was a little kid. Was right? it? Who was, like, on drugs and shit. Was it? I thought it was that serial killer who got his brain taken out and put into a robot. Oh, maybe they did that, too. But there was a little kid who yeah. was, like, doing some dirty work, and he, mm-hmm. like, was shooting at Robocop. He was like, you can't shoot a kid, asshole. Hmm. That sounds like Frank Miller. Yeah, it was Frank Miller, all right. But supposedly they took a lot of liberties with his shit, and that's why Frank Miller was writing the RoboCop series, because it was like, this is the real story he wanted to tell. Until Irvin Kirshner got his hands on it and fucked it all up. We all know what he's done with other people's work. Isn't it ironic that he directed RoboCop 2? I didn't know that until you just said it, so it it, it is super ironic. I wouldn't pin it. I always think of him, and I don't know any of his other movies besides Empire, but I think he's a flawless director. That's <laughs> all he ever did. Yeah. So speaking of movies <laughs> and flawless movies, see how we did that, folks. Why don't we roll into our favorite DC Comics movies, Matt? We started with you last week. Why don't we start with you again? Favorite DC Comics movie? Do it. What if we talk about? The most recent DC Comics movie, maybe being their best. 
It's been so long, I don't even know what it is. Well, it was last summer's Man of Steel. Uh, I think that that is one of their best movies they've ever made. You know, I it's so hard because I almost hesitate to say that it's better than the original Christopher Reeve Superman. But maybe it is. You know, maybe there's just so much nostalgia put into it and so much love of, of Christopher Reeve's portrayal of Superman, which really is borderlines on perfect. There was just something about the Man of Steel that was different than, especially when it came out, it's so different than all the other superhero movies of this golden age of superhero movies, especially for a mainstream character. I mean, do they get more mainstream than Superman? And yet this movie was given, like, such an artistic flair to it from the way that it was, like, kind of shot the cinematography was really artistic and, and kind of took some risks, I think, in a lot of ways with the way the shots were set up. They were just, like, when I compare them to Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America 2, and all these other Marvel movies, vastly different. Um, I felt like we were seeing, probably for the first time, superpowers that felt like fucking superpowers, that felt beyond almost what we could imagine. The way that they had Superman fighting and moving and flying and doing everything that he could do. I'm going to jump right in here and agree with Matt that this is one of my top two, is Man of Steel. Because we watched maybe the first, first quarter when... Wayne was in last weekend and every time I see that movie I like it more every time I see it and I agree with everything that Matt's saying like there was a weight to the powers with the way the Kryptonians carried themselves with the way Superman carried themselves that that just felt it was just like filmed so realistic you can feel it like when he would land when he would take off and when he first took off and the ground beneath him starts shaking. Like, you can feel the power in that character. And, you know, I feel like the movie, in a lot of ways, is even getting better to me in the context of knowing that it is kicking off a brand new line of DC movie, like the movie-verse. Mm-hmm. And just having that knowledge is like exciting and kind of gives it like a little bit of a nudge um in a positive direction for me um <clears throat> if i if i was going to nitpick it a little bit i i wish that they would have retained the john williams superman theme because i feel like you know why i said christopher reeve's portrayal is about flawless can't bring him back for this movie but you can bring that theme back but they can't, in the face of Superman Returns, when they tried to do it, and it was almost like a slavish dragging all the stuff from the 70s and 80s into this current film, I, I, and, and it was reacted to poorly, not instantly, you know, I, but poorly after the fact, that I think that they wanted to distance themselves. Totally understand deal. what you're saying, but in regards to the score... I don't feel like that applies because that is synonymous with Superman regardless of 
the the era. I feel like that that music when you hear it, it is so cl- clearly think- Superman versus the Hans Zimmer just. Like you think Hans Zimmer could have done a spin on it, maybe? Yeah, why not? Why not? I agree with Matt about the theme, but I've also really learned to appreciate the Hans Zimmer Zimmer theme because the first time you hear it in Man of Steel is when he's pushing that school bus out of the lake, and as soon as it comes on and he's he's bringing the bus out, I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, you fucking get that bus, and the the theme just you know. It's good. works for what that movie is. It's good. I love Hans Zimmer's music. I bought that soundtrack. I bought his soundtracks that he did on the Dark Knight series. I love them. But you're talking about John Williams' music. You can't compete with it. You can't compare them. Apples and oranges. And I would prefer to have some apples in my Superman Man of Steel movie. I feel like Hans Zimmer is it's like a plum. It's not <laughs> it's not something fun to eat. You know, it's like hmm the soundtrack. I wonder like I, I wonder what Man of Steel would sound like with that original John, John Williams score to it. Because it probably changes the entire complexion of that movie. But yeah. like, it may said, lighten it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean like, like said, that if if I'm gonna jump in here and complain a little bit, because that's what uh, I think it was it was just so weighed down and so heavy. You could feel the weight. Yeah, you could feel the weight because there was no levity to this movie. There was no kind of fun. There was no joy to the movie. It just it just wasn't. And I think that it could have it, it could have improved the movie greatly if there was a little bit of humor in this movie. If there was a little bit. Of, of brightness to such a stark and desaturated film. Yeah, and you know, going back to what Matt said about the cinematography and the way it was filmed, you know, I know whenever I say this, it's going to be, ooh, DC guy hates Marvel, blah, blah, blah. But going back and watching that movie a couple more times, I feel like Man of Steel is a film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for movies. Like, you go see Marvel movies, you go, you have a good time, you know, you have a laugh, you know, oh, that was great, I loved it. But, like... You throw a couple million dollars around, yeah. you know. You can't make the money argument, because he can make the money argument about the prequels, that doesn't mean they were all good. Um, you know, we were Marvel doing so well... Pretty, the majority of the Marvel movies We were doing so well agreeing, and then you had to take a shot. That was, again, that was him, I was shooting at him. I'm, I the prequels are good, though. You're like, oh, you make the prequel argument, but they're not good. You did take a, a shot, shot at me. You dirty cocksucker. It was, he took a double shot. He shot at you, and he <laughs> shot at me. <laughs> so I say that we revolt. Back to my, back to my original point. Man back of, to the dick-sucking in progress. <laughs> Man of Steel was, it was heavier. It wasn't just, like, you know, there was less levity, there was less comedy, but, like, it was more... It was more emotional. Like I feel like the whole through line of the movie was, you know, just grounded in like heavier themes. It felt like there was more at stake. Like there were consequences yeah. to what happened. It, it felt Superman felt like a character in this iteration of him than any other cinematic version, like the of an outsider that was trying to find his place in the world, and he never quite did. And while I. I like the way that it was portrayed. 
I, I wish that maybe they would have gone in a slightly different direction with it and had more of the Clark Kent aspect of it, working at the Daily Planet and everything. He wasn't Clark Kent for one second in that movie. He's, he's always Clark Kent. He's not Clark Kent with a job at the Daily Planet, but he's always Clark Kent. That's who he is. Yeah, he didn't really have the split person, the, 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 the alter ego yet. Well, then he was Clark Kent the entire movie, even whenever we, he was in the Superman get-up. Right, well, he hadn't established the, the whole need for the secret identity. And I mean, I guess he kind of did, but it's, he didn't create the double life yet. Yeah, Man, and I mean, that's something... Batman begins. That's something It really that, is. Yeah. And, and, and Bruce Wayne is always Batman, and that's what's fun about those two characters, is that they're always one of those those different roles that but they, they play. But they both put the facade on... And that would have been nice to see the facade in Man of Steel. Right, you don't, you don't get that in Batman Begins. He's the same guy the entire time. And then towards the end, he's like, alright, you know, I gotta be this guy, I gotta be Batman. Pretty much. No, you, I gotta be Bruce Wayne. You see And you him. get that whenever he goes to the party scene, right. and that whole strategy of getting when he kicks everybody out. out of the party and, and saving the people in there from getting killed because he's playing a role. We don't get any of that. He swims around in the fountain with the two ladies. That's in um, Dark Knight. Oh, is that the Dark Knight? I, I believe so. Is it? Isn't it? Or is I it not? I don't know. I think but still, you, you get that in those movies and you don't get well, any of that duality Man of in Man is a of different Steel. story. He wasn't he wasn't there yet. But there's similar characters that have similar traits. That yeah. you can, similar characters in... They're, that they're they have a dual different. role. It's, it's almost like they the light and dark role. version of the same thing. Yeah. Right. It's similar, isn't it? I feel like Superman is a more subtle change from going from... You know, goofy Clark Kent, where he's really acting in front of everyone, to... The real Clark Kent at home with his parents who know him. And the public persona of Superman. There's there's less of a change. It's less, you know, it's less Tobey Maguire, nerdy Spider-Man, changing into Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. The public persona of Superman, truth, justice, the American way, the always confident and Superman is not that drastic from... Well, that's Clark Kent. He's yeah, an idiot. Yeah, because he could not, never be Superman. I, I disagree with that. But we don't know what this Clark Kent is yet. That's true. The, the subtleties in this movie, he's going quietly, slowly, from one to the other. He's well, only been Clark Kent at home with the Kents through the entire movie. We don't... And now, and now at the very end, he's like, all right, now I need to be this other guy, along with this public Superman. We don't know that because... And that's a flaw in the writing... And the way that the plot was constructed, that we don't know anything about that. That we get at the very end of the film, oh, he's now going to work with David Bugle, or... Uh, I don't think David you Planet. need it in this movie. Okay, you don't. Maybe I do. Maybe I wanted to see that. I wanted to see it too, but I don't feel like it's a major flaw or anything it's, to it's, the movie. It's, it's a flaw. We, I don't think that's true either. I don't um, think it's a flaw. At least it's it's like saying it's a that's flaw. Why you guys like it. That's it's fine. like saying it's a flaw that the Joker wasn't in the first Batman movie. I want to see the Joker, but you, you're saving it because you know you're going to make more of these. You're that's, it's that's totally different. That's a complete character. Whereas I'm just talking about a trait of the main character. That's totally different. 
I didn't sit here and say, I wanted Brainiac, and he wasn't in there, so I'm disappointed. I said they left a part of Clark Kent's personality out, which is, and I would have liked to see that. Which is? Which is the bumbling persona. You are describing the persona that was established in the previous film franchise, because the Clark Kent in the comic books is not a bumbling buffoon. And the Clark Kent in Man of Steel may not be a bumbling buffoon either. Maybe that's what I wanted to see. Clark Kent and Lois and Clark is kind of bumbling. We're gonna throw that one out too. Yeah. I like Dean Kane. and I and I like that Man of Steel was so polarizing to fans. There is a contingent of fans that hate it, and there is a contingent of fans that love it. Mark Wade, who is a comic book writer, he's written nearly every character you can think of. Uh, known around the comics community is probably the biggest Superman fan. Hated Man of Steel. Loathed it, just burned it to the ground, and every review he had of it on his Tumblr, on his Twitter, everywhere, just hammered it because he was being um, he was being subjective, and it wasn't the Superman he likes. But it also was like his it. story too. Like that was essentially birthright that was kind of manipulated a little bit here and there. Was it? Wasn't uh, it? No, it's no. I don't it's know. Like, um, that's, it wasn't? Uh, no, it wasn't. Did, did you read Birthright? Yeah. I, I'm not saying blow for blow, but isn't that kind of the core of it? He could have beef over the hope, the S-Shield being hope business, but everything other than that, I think, is different enough that that's the only thing he can have any beef over. That but was his idea? But, but that's, that's not even what Mark Wade's complaining Did about. Mark Wade create that the S is hope? In Birthright. That's stupid. Mark Wade should be ashamed of But himself. that's not even what his his problem was. His problem was, this isn't the George Reeves Superman that I grew up with. And, like, that was his big, like, pouty thing the entire time. Like, it wasn't his Superman, so he didn't like it. Well, well fuck you. It's fucking 2013. It's not your fucking Superman. It's a totally different Superman. We also sit here and we complain about the thin villains and Marvel movies and how they're not all that powerful... Or, or they don't stand out, the cookie-cutter. Um, not that I'm saying that General Zod was a cookie-cutter villain, but he wasn't... I didn't like the way that Michael Shannon portrayed him. I didn't like his acting at all. And maybe that's just me. I didn't like it one bit. But I also thought he was a little too sympathetic. You can't get mad at somebody whose DNA tells them to save a complete, you know, an entire planet. It kind of makes Superman look like a dickhead. But no, Wait no because here's, isn't that what his DNA no. tells him to do? To yes, that's all true. But the hold thing, on a second, there, Joe Cassano. <laughs> the, yeah, the thing is, it's I not, didn't say that Superman was a bad guy. It just makes him look like a dick. But yeah, but what, what you because all dicks are good guys. What you just described was that Superman's faced with a choice: murder this entire planet of Kryptonians or murder this entire planet of Earthlings. I didn't say that. There I didn't say... What I, didn't, I didn't use murder at all. Yeah, I didn't what, say that what at were, all. What were Superman's dick actions? His dick actions? Yeah, his dick actions. What were the the actions that he that he performed it, that it were doesn't, dickish? It doesn't make him look like the Shining Knight that Superman should look like whenever he... Whenever he does kill... Somebody uh, kill a villain at the end of the movie. Now you're arguing just for arguments. No, I'm not. That's ridiculous. You don't believe that. I do believe that. What, what should Superman have done? He could have thought a whole 
host of different things to subdue and capture General Zod. Iron Man could have subdued and captured all those but that's people not, that had him but, captured but, but, but in the beginning of but, Iron Man. But that's not what Iron Man does. That's not a core part of that character's... It's not a core part of Superman either. He's killed before. It's some myth, like Superman changing in a phone booth. He did it once, in one comic, in the 50s. One time. But it's but that one thing stuck. Really? Perception is reality. One time. Yeah. The perception of that is reality. You ask people, where does Superman... Oh, he goes in his phone booth and changes. But he doesn't. And in the same regard... But every, you every, ask people when and they it, say that, so he does. And in the same regard, everyone wants a more badass Superman. He's too good. He's, you know, Superman's too much of a Boy Scout. So then he kills someone, and everyone's like, this isn't Superman, what the fuck? I'm like, you fucking dorks. This is what you wanted. You wanted a more badass Superman, you fucking got one. Wait a second. Who space? said, well, I, I just wanted a more, uh, a Superman that you could kind of right. sympathize with, but which they did give you in this movie. I'm I not saying it's all bad. the original argument. You think Superman wronged General Zod. By not letting him turn Earth I into New Krypton. never said that. I said that General Zod time. is a more sympathetic villain than maybe prob- than he should be you in this movie. also said that Superman's kind of a dick, and you said he's, he's kind, kind of, of a dick. dick because he killed the bad guy from killing innocent people. He, Superman, should be able to handle that situation without killing someone. He was Superman fighting. should. He would. He was fighting a guy that had his same Are we going to lower our standards for the Man of Steel? Superman. Is that what we're going to do? Superman isn't Superman yet in that movie. Superman's learning how to be Superman. And he's faced with someone. I can't wait till he snaps Batman's neck and I can see you guys defend him. Clapping. And he's he's faced with someone with his exact same powers, but no moral compass. That's what makes Superman... That's why it should highlight that Superman has a moral compass. And that's how... Don't you see that? That's what makes Superman different than Zod. Right. And that's, that's the difference. And, and it's, it's not there. And that's how powerful that moment is when he's that's, forced to dumb. kill him. And that's a dumb argument. Because he needs to make that choice. Because if he doesn't, you can't stop him. You can't chain him up somewhere. You can't imprison Zod. And he made it... Like the Phantom clear. Zone or wherever he the fuck it, they were it's earlier? It's can, gone. That ship's gone. You can do something. You can do something what? else. What I don't know. Do? I'm moment, not the writer. The, I'm not the writer of <laughs> right, you Man can't of Steel. Do anything. But so the what you're saying is you, cannot, you cannot come up with something off the top of your head. It's no clear. Just no, like I, Superman could not come up with something I'm off not the top su- of his head. I'm not Superman. Just because you I have heat visions in, a, in, in the American way. The ability to fly. I, Superman is supposed to be. Problem solved. Superman is supposed to be better than us. He's supposed to be us, but better than he's us. He's not the example the that we. Batman he's he's the example that we all look to. He's the the kind of hero that we all want to be. Is he in this movie? He and should be. Why, he's not. No, no, no. That's he why hasn't been established as that hero that we all want to be. He's barely even, like, Dude, within the public Are, are we going to get that in any of these movies? Well, we don't know. I assume that we will. I assume, too, but who knows? We didn't get it in this one. Who knows? The fact that Superman kills on at the end of that movie is what makes that scene so powerful. Because we know who he is. We know... He doesn't do that. But that's the choice. We don't know that he doesn't you do that. He doesn't fucking did it. And then he also let his dad just fucking die, too. Are you going to let either of us finish a point? Yes. Because he has to make that choice in that instant. 
You know what could have been cool though? He's, Spider-Man he doesn't have, he doesn't or Superman. Sit there I said God's Spider-Man and say, "Oh, well, you know what? Maybe I can salvage some parts from that exploded spaceship that contained the Phantom Zone." You know what? Maybe I can whip something together real quick while holding this guy in a headlock the entire time until I get him in there. Zod made it perfectly clear he was going to murder everybody. There was no other course he of action. He had already done and that. And it's not about he saving... He had already murdered I don't thousands ex- of people. I don't think that saving myself or Paul or even you, Matt, would be able to make a snap decision like that, but I'd hope that and it's not Superman, about the man of steel, would be able to make a great it's decision. It's not about oh, saving he made that a snap one family. He did. He snapped the shit out it's of It's not about neck. saving that one family. It's about saving the entire planet. Because once Zod got out and killed them, he was going to kill everybody else. Right. <laughs> okay, so now we know what what DC movie Ian loathes. I don't loathe that movie. Ian, what movie did you like? I liked The Dark Knight. The second most overrated movie ever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I won't incite argument for argument's sake. Did I do that? Did I incite argument for argument's sake? I would argue yes, but it makes for great reading. <laughs> And isn't that what we're all here for? We're not here to play nice. We're here to insult. <laughs> Clearly, we're here to inspire debate. But the Dark Knight, I would say, is my favorite DC movie. The second in the Dark Knight trilogy, Christopher Nolan, who then went on to do great things like The Man of Steel and you know produ- be the executive producer on that film. Um. Dark Knight featured one of the most iconic villains, I think, in all of pop pop culture. The Joker took a different turn on the way that we saw the Joker. And um, Are we due for a bad Joker? Because Jack Nicholson was iconic in his day. Mark Hamill, iconic in his. Mark, or, uh, Heath Ledger, once again. Aren't we due for a Joker that we're like, holy fuck, that guy sucks? It's such a high bar, too. Like, it's the, it's probably the most interesting villain. It's the villain of villains. He stole the the scene every moment he was on the screen. Like, he owned it. You didn't give a shit about seeing Batman. You were just like, when's the next fucking scene with the Joker? It, it was because that overall, captivating. Chris Nolan's Batman was boring. I would disagree with that. It was boring. Yeah, what was the character? Tell me, tell the me character the Batman character of Batman. Yeah, and Superman was yeah. a dick. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what, um, Bruce. Uh, whenever Christian uh, Bale was playing Bruce Wayne, and he was he was Batman outside of the costume, I think he was more interesting than Batman inside of the costume. If that's fair, or oh, and and whenever he was playing the role of Bruce Wayne, I thought. But that was interesting as well, to see him go so far out of the way to act out of character, which is something that I appreciated from that um, from that film. Yeah, I think that the Dark Knight films were the first ones to really show the duality of the Bruce Wayne and Batman characters. You know, Michael Keaton's... I don't feel like we really... that Michael Keaton really put a stamp on Bruce Wayne... Really. Michael Keaton was a terrible Bruce Wayne. But Great Batman, terrible Bruce Wayne. He was a better Clark Kent, if you will. He was he was 
bumbling and silly okay, and laughable. Right. That's what he did. For yeah. once, we agree. I don't agree with that. Okay. <laughs> you know. Heaven forbid. We get all around of us. consensus. Um, I think in this day and age when we're talking about comic book movies we're ah, taken straight out of the comic book page and it's just like the comic and so fantastic the Dark Knight trilogy had a different way about that where this is the real world and if this character existed how would these things function and Chris Nolan took a lot of steps to show you where he would get his toys and how those things worked um, Most of that, though, was done in the previous film. True, but I mean, it, even if you take it all into consideration, they even did that with the um, bat vision stuff in the second and film. And the new cowl with where he could turn his head. Yeah. Where the, the, the cowl wasn't attached to the cape anymore. It was two separate pieces, so now he has full movement. Or when he goes to jail. I'm okay. sorry, but they were just going to say how they established it in the very beginning of that movie. He had the old cowl on where it was all one piece, and, and he kind of got beat up by some dogs. So that was the impetus for him to change his costume. And it was a little sleeker, but The Dark Knight was filled with so many great moments, and there's two that just jumped in my my brain just now. What, when And even when you think about, like... Uh how he got Ling. Is that the... the that was one of them. Because they go through, well, this is how you're going to create your alibi. This is how you're going to get out of here. This is how you're going to scout out this building and, and do all that. That was that was real-world stuff. Yep. I mean, a little fantastical. But you could kind of see that that might be something that some crazy billionaire could be able to do. Right. Plus, and, it was super fucking cool watching him go into that building... In the first place, the way he, like, glided into it, and then just, when that airplane comes by and catches the, the balloon, and then the Christopher, or not the Christopher Nolan, but the Hans Zimmer music just kicks in and starts stirring up. Fucking awesome scene. Another great scene in that movie was the, um, the car chase sequence where, um, you know, they're transporting uh, the Batman, who is Harvey Dent. And the Joker shows up in one of his Joker trucks and they're shooting bazookas. And then finally Batman shows up in the Batmobile, blows up, turns into the fucking Bat motorcycle. Was it called the Bat Pod? I think it was the Bat Pod. And, um... The Bat's stupid. But there's so many, like, that, that now sequence... Now you're just doing this to argue with me. That sequence has no music playing throughout, which is really cool. Because, like, it lets just kind of the tension and, like, the roar of the engines... Be kind of like your soundtrack. It's really, really intense, I think. The way that... Uh, I, I don't know if it's like the Joker's theme. It's just like um, a, a, a tone that builds. Like whenever a buzzing. Like, yeah. Like a buzzing yep. of madness whenever he's telling mm-hmm. and retelling his origin story. One thing, Paul, I think that you might that you did appreciate was that it doesn't matter where the Joker comes from. He tells all these wacky, crazy stories, and you never find out who he is, because that shit doesn't matter. And I know that you appreciate that, so I'm sure that you were standing in the eyes clapping whenever the film ended. That was. For as entertaining as the killing joke is, like, I, I don't regard it as the definitive Joker story. And I like when writers play, and a bunch of them have done it over the years. I think Scott Snyder even alluded to it. That um, you don't you don't know where he comes from. He just shows up, and there's a bunch of rumors. There's a bunch of different ideas, 
And, you know, when he says that, he means in DC continuity, and he means, like, in our real world regarding writers of the Great the Joker, that you don't know any of them could be possible, and no one will write the definitive version. So for those that don't know, in the killing joke, they establish what the Joker's origin really is. Or is it almost suggested similarly to the way the Joker sort of suggests what his origin oh, might no, be? Oh, in the killing time. joke, they it's tell you this is what it is. And the, but, they, but that's also like an Elseworlds tale that isn't really part of continuity. It's something that... But it was, because the, the ramifications lasted... A yeah, decade. because Barbara Gordon was paralyzed in that, right. for those that don't know, and continued until they just magically put that spine back together yeah, and said, right. Batgirl, y'all. With zero explanation, just like, hey, how about that shit? Wow, I'm walking now. Our villains, we need no explanation. Our heroes cured paralysis? A little bit of a hint, maybe. Right. Um, but why wouldn't they, with characters like Cyborg alive in that universe? Why would she be in a wheelchair? But it was all... The, but I mean, I agree the with explanation, you, but tell me that something like that happened. She didn't get nanotechnology fused to her body. It was just like, oh, about that shit? I can walk now. It was like a miracle. Like, come on, really? Oracle wasn't interesting enough? We don't have enough bat allies? Batman, Robin, 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 Robin. The fucking spoiler. Um, Bluebird. Huntress, Bluebird. Nightwing. Nightwing. Batwing. Azrael. Right. Oh, we need fucking... Oh, I'm sorry, we already have another Batgirl, but we need the original Batgirl. Who fucking cares? Wasn't she more interesting as Oracle, given all the other Batmans we already have? It's funny in this age of diversity that they take away the only character in a wheelchair, like, predominant character, who essentially the book Birds of Prey was her book. That was the Oracle book. Like, only character in a wheelchair besides Professor X. And they're like, yeah, you know what? We're go- Or Chip from Transformers Generation He doesn't <laughs> But they're like, you know what? We're just going to make her walk again. And it felt like a natural thing. That, I mean, a madman shooting you through your spine is not natural. But the fact that they carried that on for, for decades felt... Um, like, they honored that moment in those books, and they honored the fact that these things happen to people, and that's how you have to live, you have to continue to live your life, and that's what she chose to do with her life, and still be the hero that she wanted to be, and that she always was. Um, it's weird that they took that away. It's um, really bizarre. And, and with without any acknowledgement for doing all. it, they were just like, you know what, we're relaunching DC Comics, so we may as well have her walk again. What? But they kind of, they acknowledged that she, something was up, you know, like she, she was fucked up in some capacity. I don't remember exactly how specific they got with it, but she was, I remember in the first issue of that Batgirl comic, which I really liked in spite of this weirdness, it was just so glossed over. It was like, come on, how can you disregard such a defining aspect of that character? Just to, so you, I don't know. It just didn't make sense. You think we'll ever see a a Batgirl or an Oracle character in the DC Cinematic Universe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do. I ask because we haven't really. I mean, we've seen it in the Birds of Prey TV show, but I think. I, well, or, let's wait a second. Um, I, I take it all back because I we did counting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Batman and Robin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now. 
I I think that um, that you probably will see a Barbara Gordon before maybe even a, a film before you see a Batgirl. I think you know the way these comic book movies are made these days. The groundwork is laid really early with them, and, and there's like a lot more of a slow burn with build up for things like that. Um, who knows? Maybe you'll see Barbara Gordon show up at the after the credits roll of the Batman v Superman movie, or so, probably not, but you probably will see some kind of like Justice League thing after the credits on that movie roll. I don't know if we're gonna see anything for that. I don't. I thought DC already came out and said we're not doing that. That's why there's nothing after Man of Steel. I think oh, really? that's probably a good idea. There's no reason for them to to do that, and they're so close in time to the Marvel universe that. To distance himself from that. Oh, I don't know, man. Marvel does not own shit after the credits roll. They've been doing that for fucking decades. It doesn't, but that's what people point to. They're like, well, it's a comic book movie, and there should be stuff afterwards. I can see why DC wouldn't want to do it. Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah. Dark Knight, probably my favorite DC film Paul, I don't think that we talked about your favorite. Um, I jumped in with Matt for Man of Steel. Well, can I jump? Oh, can I jump in with Ian f- and, and, and piggyback the Dark Knight yeah, as sure. probably the other best DC superhero movie? Um, and there's not a whole lot else to say at this point other than yeah, it's also my favorite. You know, I really struggled with either the Dark Knight or the original Batman, but the original Batman is too steeped in nostalgia whereas I think that the current the more recent Dark Knight movie on its own merits is probably the better movie. As much as I love that Tim Burton and how stylized it is and what it meant for comic book movies uh, going forward and everything, I mean, it was the standard for over a, well over a decade, really, until probably Spider-Man, I would say, or maybe X-Men. But, um, but yeah, the Dark Knight, the, the way that, that the Joker absolutely steals that movie, and the Joker, for me, is my favorite villain of all time, um, mixed with Batman, who, between him and Spider-Man, are probably my two uh, favorite heroes. Savage Dragon's Overlord is a close second. Good deep cut. So yeah, I listen. Yeah. As, as I was coming out of my mouth, I was like, is, that right? is this what he's really called? <laughs> Under, Underlord? Because <laughs> 70% of me expected Matt to go, who? <laughs> no, that was Savage Dragon's arch enemy in the early issues of uh, Savage Dragon, who essentially looked like a purple cape wearing Doctor Doom. And then I think Larson realized, eh, I think I maybe made this guy look a little too much like Doctor Doom, so he had him in a, in a battle. Um, actually, I think it might have been with Savage Dragon, and his cape gets obliterated. Like oh, man, he really was doing like... And, and he turned, and so he loses the cape and the hood and everything, and he looks much less like uh, Doctor Doom. Even the big... Buttons. The, the mean, picture that you just whoa. brought up there, Paul, is from Savage Dragon number seven, which is one of my all-time favorites. It's a big fight between Savage Dragon and Overlord. Every single page is a splash page, and it was the big fight that it had been leading up to for, back in those days, seven issues equal one seven year years. with Image Comics. So, um, 
it was it was kind of a big deal, and and it has an incredible finale where Overlord kicks the shit out of Dragon, and he blows a hole through his chest. Well, first he he ble- he destroys his hand; his hand disintegrates, and it's nothing. Then he blows a hole through his chest, shoots him out the window of a high rise like building. We're talking like fifty or more floors out the window and falls all the way down on top of a church steeple spike. And, and it's got this great kind of silhouette type picture of him landing on it and blood splurting up as the spike's going through his chest. And oh, the like, 90s. And it was, yeah, right? Do you remember that, Ian? I, totally, I have it, yeah. I totally and, remember. And it was, I remember, I can see his hand getting shredded. Yeah. I, I see that panel. And, and I can remember reading it. Now, granted, I was probably 12 or 13 years old. So, in my head, I'm like, what? They just fucking killed the main character. Like, that's dead. He was killed in this issue. Then, maybe not the next issue. The next issue, he wakes up, like, two weeks later and pulls himself off of it. Then his girlfriend with those huge boobs was like... Shows up and rescues him. And then the following issue... Is that the one that looks like Wonder Woman? No. But um, then the father, issue nine. No. Yeah, that's not even him. That's his kid now, Malcolm. But anyway, in issue nine, the very first, the very, the very first uh, panel of issue nine, he, um, he's like leaning forward. He's like, "Oh my god, what a horrible dream!" So everybody was like, "Ah, fuck that! None of that really happened." But it was just him actually having a bad dream. It was kind of fun. Anyway, sorry to derail things. I know so that your we're favorite about- DC movie was Savage, Savage Dragon, Dragon number, number seven. seven. I brought it up. I brought it up. That's on me. Yeah, my uh, one of my top two picks would be would be Man of Steel because when I, I I looked up the D, the list of you know movies based on you know, DC comics and I was like, well, what what movies do I want to sit down? And watch more than any other. Like if I had my choice of all these movies to sit down and watch, which ones would I still watch? And it would be, you know, Man of Steel. Like it's such a, it has its problems. Uh, I think the problems I have with it aren't the problems that the general public have. Problems. Well, what are with. the problems you have with it? Um, unless you don't want to be negative, you don't have to do that. Uh, I. I don't really know what problems I have with it. They don't exist. It's a perfect movie. It, I, it's got problems. It's well, got problems. But, uh, you know, I can't... Uh. I was ready to... I was ready to dispute the... Pro- I, I can't shift gears that fast. I was ready to dispute Apparently the biggest problem. I was ready to dispute problems the crack. biggest problem with Man of Steel. Not the problems that I had with it. What were the... Do you have any... Anything, nothing, perfect movie, um, fucking flawless. I wish Lois Lane would have black hair. Something about that hair color change. Like, I th- I've never thought Amy Adams looked hotter than when she's in Perry's office talking to him. She's in that you know little sporty business thing, and I'm like, fuck yes. But at the same time, there's something about that red hair that I'm like, ah, it's it pulls me out of her being. Uh, I don't feel like it was actually good casting at all. You don't think that she did a good job? Um, I don't, I don't think Amy Adams has an, the edge that 
Lois Lane. I agree with that. She's a little too girl next door. Um, yeah. yeah, she's lacking the edge. I think she's lacking the look. Who it's would not, be cast in her place? Someone that could walk up to you and be like, "Fuck you," and you'd be like, "Oh shit." Margot Kidder. Well, yeah, but someone pretty. Yeah. Oh. Well, Margot's not looking as good as she used to. She didn't days. look good then either. She looked okay. No. Don't tell me no. the Steve VCR. Oh, <laughs> Fox. Um, I don't know who I think a good Lois Lane would be, but but Paul's right. You need somebody. You can't think on your feet. Is. You're not like Superman, motherfucker. You might as well snap somebody's neck. I'm gonna though snap I, some necks. Though I don't think she has the coloring for it. I think Elizabeth Banks could play Lois Lane. How? What? What's wrong with her coloring? She's like super blonde. I don't think. I think if you dyed her hair, it would be it would be shocking. Like putting blonde hair on Jessica Alba. Well, she had dark hair in Spider-Man. Elizabeth Banks? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was... Betty uh, Brown. Betty Brown. Mm, I guess maybe... I don't know, man. I don't know if I would say she's the right one either, but... I don't know. You got somebody... Because right now, I'm the only one... You gotta have somebody that's just a bitch, I think. But someone... No. Someone that's a likable bitch, because you can't cast Megan Fox in that role. The biggest problem. Kind of like Carla had. Gugino. I like her. I like that Amy head. Adams wasn't yeah. like early twenties either. I like that they actually cast a woman to play Lois Lane as opposed to the previous uh, girl that played her. Um, what was her name? Oh, oh. Lois uh, Lane. Bosworth. Kate Bosworth. Kate Bosworth. Lois Lane. No. Yeah, yeah. Carla Gugino is probably a good, pretty good call for that. Uh, I don't, I don't like the, um, and, and all the stuff that I didn't like about it was just dumb stuff, like the color of Lois Lane's hair, or the way, like, the Superman suit just happens to be, like, perfectly tailored for him and everything, in that ship that they found that's been sitting there for over a thousand years. Like, all that, like, weird stuff. I don't like that Jor-El can project his consciousness over a thousand years into, like, jump drive. Like, I think that felt like a, a real cheat to me. Like, every time... Like, when he's bouncing around the ship, helping Lois Lane, you know, get out of the Kryptonian ship, every time I see that scene, I'm like, what a fucking writer's cheat. Because Russell Crowe had something in his contract saying, I need to be in this many minutes of this movie. I'm going to warn you right now, our fans are going to start getting on your case about saying writer's cheat too often. Just like they used to get on you about saying contrived. That's how that's how I feel. I feel like it's a writer's cheat. And I don't think Lois Lane should have even been on this. Why the fuck does Feyor come down and like now he's starting You know to what? Hit. We want well because because now I've had time to Feel. properly get into the gear of hate. It's time for some neck snap. My pole Go. position. Gear of hate. <laughs> Feyor comes down and she's like, Yeah, we want the fucking Kryptonian. Oh, and that girl too. And they never really explain why they want Lois Lane on the ship with them. It's uh, Maybe they try to make it so that the audience just understands, well, because they know she's pretty tight with Superman, so we're going to bring her up. Yeah, but no really one sure. really explains that. And it seems like it just seems like... It seems a like way, a writer's cheat, really. It seems like it. a way to get Lois Lane in more trouble so that we can have this scene 
where he saves her falling down to the earth. Later you gotta on. say that a lot of the, although that was pretty cool when she was like falling and he had to save her. Um, but there's so much of that uh, damsel in distress, like it, it's kind of getting old with comic book movies anymore, where the hero is constantly having to save the girl. Like, isn't that? Kind of just overly cliche at this point. Yeah, but I think I think it applies more and more with Superman and the Superman characters than any other one because Lois Lane is traditionally a character just running headlong into trouble with no no idea of the consequence. True. Always getting in over her head. True. And Superman has to come down. True. But I also feel like Spider Man's always got to save his girl. But then it happens in every fucking other movie. Iron Man and. Well, maybe not Iron Man 3, because they turned Gwyneth Paltrow into some kind of fucking... Iron Mistress. Whatever she was. They inject her with the extremes. That's my least favorite DC movie right there, <laughs> Iron Man 3. The big argument with Man of Steel is that they destroy the city, there's too much killing at the end, everyone fucking dies. And I say, well, what the fuck do you think would happen if those two beings rip through... New York City like that. Of course people are going to die. It's fucking realistic. It's not sunshine and roses. Zack Snyder went in there with a purpose. Like, this is how powerful these two dudes are. Like, they're going to, like, people are going to die. And everyone's like, oh, well, Superman should have saved everyone. Superman should have been more concerned with I think the fight to a cornfield. Meanwhile, one no, 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 no. I think Superman should have saved Anyone? Someone? He was. By taking by taking care of the problem at the source, which was Zod. That's right, Paul. You disagree? No. He's like those people. It sounds like I don't, you disagree. That doesn't sound genuine. It doesn't matter. That's what I said. I said he saved those people. He saved those people. He saved those people. Well, Paul asked you if you disagree, and you said no, but clearly you do. No, I'm saying he saved those people. I agree with But you that think statement. he could have saved more people. I think that they could have highlighted him having some kind of struggle, like, oh man, all this shit's going wrong, these people are dying, maybe trying to save some people here and there. Perfect moment in Spider-Man 2. Sure, he amazingly saves everybody in that scene where Superman he's fighting wasn't in Spider-Man Electra. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting a moment in another movie. Oh, sorry, God. If that's okay. Spider-Man saves a whole bunch of people from Electro in Times Square. There might have been a moment or two like that where you can see Superman either carrying that to people or getting killed and having some moral struggle that that all this destruction's going on. You don't have to do that, but I think that that's people's gripe with that, is that he didn't care about anything until the very end. Yeah, and like I, I, I think... Fans are assholes. I think they're too hard on that movie, and they're too hard on that fact in general, because the speed with which him and Zod are fighting each other, he doesn't have time to stop for a second and be like, oh shit, the people, because Zod is going to pound him into a He is in the fight of his life. This and shit is happening before you can even think about it. keep in mind, he has never been in this situation before. He has never had someone trying to kill him with powers equal to his own before. And at the same time, he's still learning his. I mean, that whole fight is moving. He's still it, Superman. That whole fight is... Uh, he's still not somebody... Yet. He's not still, yet. 
he's still somebody that should be looking out for the people of Earth. His and I, people, really. Right. And, I, and I agree with you, and I think he is, by taking out the source of the problem. And that is, as soon as I get okay. this guy out of the way, all this nonsense is going to stop. And that's, and that's great you focus. feel that way, but the people that have issue don't. Well, that is my argument to the people that don't. Okay. That think there is just too much killing in Man of Steel. Can I have a moment where he's... Uh, One of the knocked dumbest... down, knocked down, and he's looking, and people are dying, and you can have some moment of introspection. We can't have that? Huh? No, because I think that okay. fight's happening too fast. All right. One of the dumbest arguments I heard was, you should have taken the fight to, to a field. Like, yeah, I'm not even... I'm not saying that. Because there's a cornfield outside of every well, city. Well, yeah, there is. <laughs> but... I mean... Every city has its court. The way that these characters are getting punched, like, one punch puts you in outer space. Like, there's... Like, people are thinking about it as if, like, Paul and Ian are having a fist fight. You know, you guys maybe take it outside. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, there's no arena here. Everywhere is the fight because of how fluid it is because how much they move around with... The, that kind of power. And Zod, and Zod has made his notions, or his, he's made his intentions clear. Superman's going to punch him with the cornfield, and Zod's going to punch him right back into the city to kill more people. Right. I can't believe how Joe Casada you've gone on us here tonight, Ian. Make mine Marvel. That's what Ian says. That's what I say. I... Man, I believe red. What can I Matt, say? Why Captain don't you America go, shirt. Matt, why don't you go us your Captain number Captain America shirt. You see that? A uh, little jab at this podcast. <laughs> I, I gave you my number two. Dark Knight. Turn? Dark, the Dark, the Dark Knight. Knight, yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, actually they're interchangeable for me. I love them both. I think they're both fantastic. Uh, I can probably pick them. I mean, I can. I can pick flaws on either one. But holy shit, the things that both of those movies do well is just captivating to me. So, yeah, those are my two. You want me to give you one that I hate? Or wait, has everybody given their two, Paul? Ian, Ian and I have not given number two. Okay, why don't, Ian, why don't you give number two? It's really tough because I'm going to go... I would go back to Batman, but in the... Just to, keep to, it fresh? To, yeah, to change it up. I mean, I... Liked the Watchmen movie, Zack Snyder joint, DC Comics. Was it a perfect film? No, it wasn't a perfect film. But I it really enjoyed the shot-for-shot nature. It, it, it was a book that was long said that you could never film the Watchmen. It was just too epic. It was too big. Did they make some mistakes? Sure. I still enjoyed the movie up until the end. <laughs> uh, but I, I really did like um, the characters... And the way that they were brought to the silver screen, um, is, uh, Jackie, Jackie Earl, Earl Haley, his Rorschach character, I thought was excellent. That's exactly how I thought of that character. And I thought that was a great way um, to do it. Um, Patrick Wilson did a really good job with the, the uh, Night Owl character as well. So there are a lot of good uh, spots here and there that I really enjoyed about that. Jeffrey Dean Morgan did the comedian, and I thought that also was that character being brought to life in a way that I felt did justice to it. And the whole beginning scene, the beginning sequence, uh, with Bob Dylan track playing, 
in the background, and you kind of see the background history of the Minutemen and how we get to this current day. It told a lot of history about the movie in about you know three minute segment that I thought added to the movie and it added weight even to the comic book series that they later on added some things I feel or explored some different things that happened only in passing in, in the book. So I love that book. I like that movie, and um, it, it, it would be something that I would recommend to people if they haven't seen uh, Watchmen. Go check it out. Yeah, I think, I feel like Watchmen was almost, uh, like, before its time. It, it suffers, it suffers from the problem most novels, most actual novels suffer when they're turned into a movie, is that you lose a lot of the... You lose a lot of the narration, a lot of you know what people are thinking, what's driving them. You lose that internal monologue from characters, so you don't get as deep an idea of you know who these characters really are. You know, you lose a dimension for portraying these characters, and I, I, I think that was one of the problems with Watchmen is that Alan Moore has so many layers in this book and so many layers on all of these characters. And Zack Snyder had to streamline everything. He had to, you know, take the just the core idea of the Ozzy Mandias story, and you know that's that's what we're using. We're gonna like throw in bits and pieces for the fans, but ultimately, it's not gonna live up to all of that shit that Alan Moore put in there. And the the book is so dense. There are portions of the book, pages and pages, volumes actually. With, which are dedicated to personal journals of various characters. You don't get more personal than and, and round out a character more than their innermost thoughts. Where you go through, you know, ten, fifteen pages of um, the original Night Owl's journal, or um, or some things that Rorschach went through, um, or the Doctor Manhattan character and how much that that character has to be um, explained. And given weight and, and depth, um, you can't do those kind of things in a film. You could probably do them in a TV series. Maybe you can't do all the over-the-top effects that The Watchmen was able to pull off with Zack Snyder and um, his technical ability. But I think that the story might have been given more justice in a um, TV series, HBO, Showtime series. Yeah, I'd like to sit down and watch it again. And the ending. Yeah, the ending, I mean... You know, the, they completely take away from the plot of the movie. For the spoiler, for those who haven't seen it, um, the end of the book, they, they catch the big villain and he explains the evil plot, and they're like, We'll never let you do that. And he says, I'm not a comic book villain. I did that a half an hour ago. And in this, the heroes are able to save this, the world from destruction and civil war. But I, I thought that that really undercut. So the in the book, he, the the what happens in the book, and, and they also change around some some details about what happens in the movie. It has to do with the ar- the Cold War and the arming of Russia against America. In the book, it is a invasion of aliens that kills millions of people in downtown New- in surrounding areas of New York. Um, so they changed that to the Cold War theme. But the point of the alien invasion is to unite humanity and put aside their differences. 
I forget what the cent- uh, uh, the central theme in the movie is just that everybody's m- missiles and nukes are armed and ready and shot at each other, and then they fail or something like that, which seemed dumb. Uh, it, it takes away, like, then, as soon as your nukes don't work, then you rearm and fire again. We don't come together as a society unless we're attacked by something that isn't of Earth. Either. Yeah, and I feel like it, it suffered the same way Green Lantern did, is that it adheres so strictly to a lot of the source material through the entire movie, and then at the end, it does a 180. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you going to, you're going to give us the, the, the exact book all this time, and then you're going to change this one fucking thing? Just go for it. Giant space monster. Fucking do it. That would have made sense, but they, 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 they shied away at the yeah. last minute, and I think it really hurt the film. I have you ever read Watchmen? No. No? Um, and, and uh, why are you laughing? Because I feel like there are like a billion seminal comic book titles that everyone that's a comic book fan should have read, and you've never read them. None of them? None of them. Wow. Sure. Watchmen being Watchmen being on the list. Why? Have you read Beef be for Vendetta? No. Maybe I don't like Alan Moore. If you think about that. Have you read any Alan Moore? Uh, a little bit. I read some Supreme. Um, didn't dig it too much. Um, Supreme? Yeah, he wrote Supreme. Yeah. It's kind of like his take on Superman, essentially. Not Supreme Power. No, no Supreme. Supreme. Paul's there, he's like, what? what is this Supreme you speak of? I've read comics. That weird image stuff, it doesn't count. Um, anyway, I saw the movie, and I saw the ending, and I didn't feel like it was out of place and didn't make sense, but he's I had no guy? context. No, no he's what a white he guy. He's a guy in the back. That's a soul preme. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Keep going. You didn't think it was out of place. No, it, it was fine. It made sense yeah. to me, at least at the time. I don't really remember it now because I've only seen the movie once. But it, I was perfectly happy and content with it. I will say this: when I was watching Watchmen, and there was a sequence in the movie when Rorschach goes to investigate it, um, Moloch, Moloch, yeah. Moloch's apartment, and he's in there snooping around at night with his flashlight and everything, I was like, that is what I wish Batman would be like. I want to see a cinematic version of Batman like that. Ironically, what, ten years later, we're going to get same director, Zack Snyder, doing Batman. That's pretty exciting, and I don't know if it's going to be exactly like that, but I don't know. Might there might be echoes of it throughout, so it could be very cool. I'm very very excited about that. I think it's kind of ironic that so far Zack Snyder has had a good bulk of the movies that we really enjoyed from DC, and I think that that looks good for the future because I think he's going to be steering a few of these pictures. So he he's proving to be kind of like the comic book director. I mean, he did 300. He did. Watchmen, and, and he did Man of Steel. And now he's going to do a, a take on Batman, which is really cool. Yep. So, Paul, did you have one more that you 
Right. My number two is Superman the movie. Lots of people like Superman 2, but there's some really goofy shit in Superman 2. There is. Um, Magic Kiss. Magic Kiss, Cellophane S. How the fuck does Clark give up his powers and then walk back to civilization? So basically you're saying Superman 2 is a fantastic movie until the last 20 minutes. Um, well, I think, I think, you know, the, when I was a kid, the part where Superman gives up his powers, and then he gets his ass kicked in that diner, I think that scarred me in some weird way. Yeah, I know what you mean. But, and, as much as I love Superman 2, like, Superman 1 just feels like the icon of Superman. Superman's always gonna be Christopher Reeve to me. And that was dumb shit. Um, you know, Otis, awful. Uh, Gene Hackman. Not that great. Not the real Lex Luthor. I think we're still waiting on the most iconic. Everybody that's ever been the Joker is is great. Everybody that's ever been Lex Luthor. We had it. It was Clancy Brown in the animated series. So we just need Um, to get him involved in the Zack Snyder film. Like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the iconic ideas that you've been preaching about tonight about Superman are present. In that first Superman movie, you have the strict dichotomy between Bumbling Clark Kent and Hero Superman. He's doing stuff from pulling kittens out of trees to, you know, saving helicopters. He almost changes out of the phone booth. Like, it is the iconic Superman movie. And Christopher Reeve is the most likable superhero they've ever done. Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark, fantastic. But... Christopher Reeve's Superman. He's just fucking good. Perfect. Fucking perfect. Nails it. Chris Evans, Captain America's pretty, pretty yeah, good too. Yeah, they're great. But Christopher Reeve can roll. He can roll up there with fucking spandex, and you don't doubt it for one second. You're like Superman. He's not ripped. He's not muscles on top of muscles. He's not wearing. You know, latex foam ab piece or anything. You know, if that movie was made today, though, Christopher Reeve would have gotten in that insane shape. Like, he would have been on some kind of weird diet. Or... Well, if it was made today, you know, he'd be in some weird Henry Cavill suit. Like, they wouldn't even just it's throw just him in a different, it's, a, it's a different time of filmmaking. It's a different time in just the way that people yeah. were considered fit as well, so... And a lot of my enjoyment is tied into the sentimentality of being a kid last. But, you know, but even even the stuff, you know, he has the kryptonite around his neck and he's drowning in the pool and he pleads with Miss Tessmacher, you know, to let him out. Then he goes and, you know, stops the one missile, save, um, save her mother. Like he promised, that's what Superman does. That Remember is what Superman does. He's... The he Superman. didn't promise not to break Zod's neck, okay? Take it He's easy. the Superman you wanted in Man of Steel. And the most iconic moment for me, and I think it's in the first one, and it might be in two, is when um, he's, he's he's going on a date with Lois, and they're in Lois's apartment. And he's there as Clark, and Lois goes into the bathroom for something. And the way Christopher Reeve plays it, he straightens himself up, and he adds like a foot to himself. And he takes his glasses off, and immediately, he's Superman in a suit, and he's going to tell Lois, and then when she comes out, he loses his nerve, and he bumbles the glasses back on, and he starts to slump again. 
I mean, it's so... I love that shit. It's so good. He he pulls off both characters flawlessly so well. Only Henry Cavill was a better actor. Damn. Henry Cavill didn't really get the opportunity in the script to do any of that stuff, but maybe we'll see... Well, maybe we'll see what he can do in Batman v Superman. Only David Goyer was a better writer. Damn. That's true. Only David Goyer didn't hate the fans. And yeah, the, you know, spinning the world around and reversing time. <laughs> it's charming. <laughs> it's, it's silly. It's but, fucking stupid. Yeah, it is. But, you know, going, even going back to the, um, the, the John Williams score. I mean, it's just such an enjoyable movie. It's just a fun movie. To sit down and watch. And oh. it has the emotional beats. Like it has, you know, the the thing I just described where he almost tells Lois. And then at the end where he finds Lois' dead body and he pulls her out of the car. And he fucking screams at the sky. Like, holy shit. He's upset, yeah. A little bit of everything in that movie. <laughs> of all the um, great things that we've talked about tonight with DC Comics... Films, I think that the John Williams score is probably that's probably the best thing throughout. That might be the Superman music and how iconic it is. May be the best thing in all of comic book film. But it's like, it's iconic to us. But if you go to like an eleven year old now and you're like, "How's Superman's music go?" I don't know. I'm not going to be able to tell you. Maybe not an eleven year old, but they'd be like music. Music? What music? I wish that could be the title of the episode. Tension. (laughs) Well, how about this then? Do we think that the Danny Elfman Batman score, do you think that that, that you could ask a 10-year-old, what's Batman's music, and he would break out with that? No, because he would go... (laughs) 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 (laughs)
Or Monster's Ball, Billy Bob Thornton giving it to her. She's so terrible in that movie. She was really good at Boomerang. I saw her. She was in Flintstones this weekend. Who the hell was she in Flintstones? I don't she remember. She played Mrs. Well. Stone. Oh, oh, I thought she was... Sex, Fred's sexy secretary that's double dealing him, so he like lays off the whole company and doesn't know. Who it. played Fred in that version? Your hero, John Goodman. Nice, John Goodman. He's the shit. Mm-hmm. Is Rick Moranis Barney in that? Yes, and Rosie O'Donnell is Wilma, or is uh, uh, Betty, Bet- before she lost her mind. Who's Wilma in that movie? Or her weight. Uh, forgetting. Oh, Gina oh, Davis no, it's not, it's not Gina Davis. Matt, while I look this up. Why don't you tell us what's uh, your least favorite? My least, well, you know, it's funny because I've never seen Catwoman. Like I said, I've seen bits and pieces, but I know it's terrible because I know that it's not Selena Kyle. It's Elizabeth Perkins was well. There you go. Um, And I was going to pick Catwoman, actually, because I know it's truly a piece of garbage. But I had, I, I thought somebody might pick that, so I had some in my back pocket in case we doubled up. And uh, I'm going to go with Shaquille O'Neal's Steel <laughs> as the worst DC movie ever made. Um, mainly because it's got Shaquille O'Neal as the main character. Now, I know that he's a great actor. He was in... I know that he's a great actor. He was How in, dare you? He was in uh, the, the equally... Um, uh, Shazam. Y- uh, Kazam, actually. Oh, was it Kazam? Yeah, he was yeah. in. He was in Kazam. Shazam is going to star Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Only only former athletes can play super DC superheroes, apparently. So yeah, he played uh, Steel. I didn't see Steel, but I saw. How again, can that be your least favorite if you've never seen? Because you guys have already picked the other, like Batman, Robin's worst fucking piece of shit. But but it isn't. Because that at least sticks to some kind of source material. Like Catwoman, they do. They take the name Catwoman and do whatever they right. want. I, I couldn't pick Catwoman at because least, I never saw Catwoman. At least in Steel, he's John Henry Irons. Like, is it good? Halle Berry isn't even Selena Kyle. Right, right, right. It, how good is how good is um, Steel? It's I haven't seen it in years, but it's terrible. But it, it at least holds more in common with the comic book than something like Catwoman. Yeah, I've never seen Catwoman, but I knew it was terrible. So. I'm not defending Steel. I don't know. Just because I haven't seen it. But, I mean, I think it's probably... I would bet my life that it's safe to assume it's a terrible fucking movie. And if and if that's not good enough, if it has to be something I've seen that I can't pick Batman and Robin, because you already picked it, Ian. You can pick anything How else. about... How about... Superman 4, The Quest for Peace... Pretty rough. Or he fights that blonde version of Superman, or what was it? Nuclear Man. Nuclear. The writing or credits. Or George Bush, Nuclear Man. The writing credits for Steel are Louise Simonson and John Bogdanovic, who are, you know, big DC names from the 90s. Yeah, I mean, they went on to write The Adventures of Superman. What year did Steel come out? Uh, if I had 97. to guess. 97, wow. I yeah, it was pretty it was, late. Yeah. And Catwoman came out in... What was that, 2002 or something? I think the biggest thing that we can really see from, from this Holy conversation shit. is that with the DC movies, we don't have a lot to pick from. That's what we said at the beginning, and I think it has gotten really clear through... Everything that we picked, basically, except for Watchmen, and I just went out of my way to do that, was Batman or Superman. 
Uh, we don't have very many other choices. We have a Green Lantern movie that's in there that we could pay. Yeah. Other than we have a Supergirl movie that's out there that was made. And DC, DC seems bad. to have like a. They seem to have more extreme scale. It's either like you know, home run or strike. Like critically or acclaimed or. Right. But Marvel, Marvel's done so much at this point that when you go from you know Guardians of the Galaxy. All the way down to Howard of the Duck. It's a way more gradated scale. Well, they've also used um, uh, their full palette of right. characters because they Marvel Studios was forced to do that. Yeah. Whereas you know, DC I, is I all almost don't Billy count movies. Howard the Duck as a Marvel movie. I mean, but it is. Yeah, but it's not done uh, by like any of <clears throat> superhero movie standards. Um, you know, it, it's like. Saying yeah, well, the Captain America movie from 1990 is a is a Marvel movie, but but it is. Yeah, it I mean, is. We're counting all movies. I'm not. We're not counting. What was my least favorite Marvel movie? Fantastic Four that hasn't come out yet. Oh, is that what I picked? <laughs> no. Well, it I is. What you but yeah, we're not I, counting I forget, from late up till now. I mean, we're counting right, everything. Right, right. And. I would like to sit down and watch Supergirl again, because I remember when I was a kid, there's a scene in that movie where her sweet breasts bump up into some glass Ooh. panel, and they get all smushed up against it. Two-point swing. Two-point booby swing. That's all I remember. I saw movie. Supergirl um, maybe within the last four years, and um, oh my god, is it bad. It's, it's mind-numbingly bad. Maybe that could have been the worst. At least I've seen that one, right? Right. All right, you know what? Official pick? Supergirl. Horse Moon. In DC. Horse Moon. And on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening tonight, everyone. My name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. Matt Casal. We'll see you next time. So argumentative. That's because that's my nature. Was it so argumentative? Was it like I sat yeah, here? The part when okay, you were like, "Superman's for- a dick." I'm like, "Well, how is he a dick? You know, he saved those people's lives." What a fucking asshole, right? I sat here for yeah. You skated around a good answer for that the entire time. You never gave one. I didn't give a good answer because I didn't have one. <laughs> we know.